Tate Robinson on. He's and there's goal of the season, Frank Murphy. Juliano Grazioli. Oh, absolute quality. I'm sure most people would say I was mad. Oh, Ryan Hello and welcome to episode one of series three of the Downhill Second Half podcast. Series three. How we got here, I don't know. How we got here, I don't care. All I know is we are underway and we're certainly back with a bang this evening. Firstly though, joining me, Ian DL, a man whose computer sorcery is akin to that of the individual performance from Richie Graham in the second half of the 3-1 win at Gravesend in 2004. It's our podcast producer, James Harrison. I'll take that. What a brilliant performance it was. And alongside him, a man with all the podcast guile, experience, know-how and versatility of former Premier League winner Paul Warhurst coming in to usher a young B's side to lead to safety. It's Mr. Craig Clayton. I'll take that. Thank you I'll have that. <laughs> and we begin our new series with a guest whose name will forever be synonymous with Barnet FC. Now five times he sat in the managerial hot seat. Uh, the first of those spells is where he etched his name into the club's history, however. Guiding Barnet to the most dominant title win in 2005, playing an incredible brand of free-scoring football as we stormed to the conference title. Stability as a League Two club followed, along with two incredible FA Cup runs, twice guiding the Beast to the fourth round for the first and then second time in their history. Through all of that time as well, and even now, he remains the England non-league manager and a highly respected coach throughout the game. He even came back just a few weeks ago to instill a bit of pride back into the shirt. We're delighted to welcome Paul Fairclub to the podcast. Evening, guys. Good evening, Paul. Uh, really, really excited to have you on today. Uh, and, and normally when we do these things, we do kind of follow a bit of a chronology. But I think there's so many different bits that we can pick out from your time here. We're going we're gonna to jump around a little bit. Yeah, but, yeah. But, 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 Understand. But we'll broadly follow the thing. And, and starting right at the beginning, I think before you were, you were involved in football, I think you were at working in schools, I think a teacher and taking school teams even at that point. How, maybe you could just give us a very kind of short summary on how you came from doing that to working with Arsene Wenger, England team manager, winning the conference, all these things. Well, um, it goes perhaps back a little bit further than that, but I mean, I obviously didn't make it as a footballer, even though, you know, I'd played in the reserves at Liverpool and then played sort of non-league football, moved down south and became a teacher in, in Harrow. Uh, now, at that point, I was uh, really into, you know, the t- typical teacher thing, organisation, and and then my first jobs as a football manager were running the school teams. I mean, and that was, it wasn't, in, you know, it wasn't planned, but it was, it was definitely some kind of rehearsal that was going on in my head, you know, and trying all different things with the kids that. Uh, I wanted to do, you know, if and ever the, the chance came along. But, you know, I I, I, um, I got my I've got my A license pretty early on. I was about twenty eight when I got me my A license. Um, but I just loved playing so much that I kept on playing and playing and playing until I was about thirty seven, thirty eight, and. Um, and, and at that time, uh, I'd taken my uh, A license around about 28. And I, th- I was convinced that having got my A license, every door was going to open to me. And in fact, it was shut because I, I hadn't got a playing career in the professional game. And I remember being on the, the A-level course with a, a guy you, you I'm sure you probably remember, George Graham. Uh, yeah. 
and Brian Hamilton, we, we all roomed together, and, and they both said to me, look, um, and they both failed, by the way, but they both, <laughs> both said, they both said to me, look, it doesn't matter whether we pass or fail, we'll always get a job before you. And that rung with me and stayed with me um, and, and until I, you know, I thought, well, I'm going to enjoy this ride while I am. So I became manager of Hartford Town. And, uh, and from Hartford Town, can I mention the next word, by the way? Oh, I know where you're going with this. Okay, so so I, I you know, I de I devised a plan uh, at that club. Let's not mention the name. <laughs> we can always bleep it out. So oh, well, I'll try not to. <laughs> well, I, you know, I I I came up with a plan that the only way I was going to get into this football league manager that was at this time just obsessing me was to to get go through the leagues. Um, you know, win, win leagues so that they couldn't stop us going through. And and we did that. I, I'd set myself 10 years and it happened in six, only to be told to uh, go back to the, go. sorry, you can't come in um, and you have to start all over again. And I gave it a shot uh, and I lost too many of the great players. I couldn't hold on to them any longer. People like Barry Hales, you know, and uh, so... Um, yeah, so I, I became a victim, uh, you know, I, I took on the role of a victim for a few years, feeling sorry for myself. So, but then, um, I don't know whether you want me to go any further from here, how my relationship started with Barnet. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, so unbeknown to me, um, and I only found this out later, when I was flying at, uh, at this previous club we talk about, um, a certain Mr. Cleanthus approached the, the then chairman, uh, Victor Green, for me to, to, to join Barnet. This was probably, must have been 10 years uh, before I actually joined Barnet. And it was refused point blank. And, and it was, I didn't realize that until I actually pitched up. But I remember, I remember um, it was really weird what happened. Uh, because I'd been I'd been on a course uh, in Liverpool, and it was um, it was the psychology course, you know, and uh, and the theme of this the theme of this course was you know um, was just you know just go with whatever you want to go with. Now I'd been working at the time with uh, I'd, I'd two great great jobs for a while one was with nike they they picked me up and they sent me around the world to all the nike clubs uh, including the brazilian national team and i interviewed the coaches from 10 years old right through to first team managers you know and we we filmed all that and the idea was to develop a course for nike for, for children, which which we did successfully, and then of course I had these few spells with with Arsene Wenger, who uh, who was absolutely fantastic to me, um, it, it, even to the point of uh, I got a testimonial a few years later at, at this club, and Arsene brought the whole side over, and um, so yeah, I was driving back down the from Liverpool back down the motorway and. Um, I had three other, three or four other little jobs that I was doing, you know, um, all in football and sport. And I phoned up each one, one at a time, as I was travelling down the motorway, and said, "Look, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. Thanks very much. 
bang finished it then I, then the next call I did exactly the same until I'd I'd stopped calling all three you know I'd, I'd made the three calls and then I took a call it must have been half an hour later and it was Tony Cleanthos which I which you know I don't know but anyway that's how it worked so Tony phoned me up and said look uh, we're in a bit of trouble managers bailed out on us um, I need someone to try and get us over the line I said okay so so that's when I started um, and I remember it very very clearly I remember very clearly going into the club on those days and, and the type of players that we had there and um, I remember the playoffs clearly and uh, you know I, I gave it my best shot but there was something inside me that thought, you know, if, if we get through here, I, I, there won't be massive, massive satisfaction in this for me. Um, so, and, and we didn't get through. I mean, uh, you know, I can remember the incident. I can remember the penalty uh, as if it's yesterday. So it was then about, um, Tony asked me, would I stay for next season? And I said, sure, why not? Uh, so, so obviously, I mean, you, you, you picked up a, a side, as you already said, that were, um, hadn't quite made it the year that you came in, that last bit that you had to finish off. And, and, and as I remember it, it was all about how, how you could bring those finishing touches uh, to it. And the midfield was a really, really big part of that. Maybe you could walk us through how you assembled that midfield and, and where that came from. Right. Um, well, a lot of it, you know, I'd gathered thoughts from the end, end of the season that, that we didn't uh, make it. And um, I was going to hit these everybody between the eyes with things that they'd never done before. And I needed to know of the existing players who was, who was going to be up for that. And so, because um, I was going to bring these players into a tra training regime pre-season that they'd never seen before, that they'd never faced before which involved two sessions going on pre-season each day, taking them right the way through various nutrition programs, completely new training sessions that they'd never done before, and getting to know which of the players were up for that. And it became very quickly that there was a number of players who were more interested in their, in their golf handicaps than in, you know... <laughs> The, the bread and butter of, of winning the championship. So those conversations were had with a number of players very, very quickly. Um, and then it was a case of, you know, tailoring a side that I felt reflected what I was about, which was about attacking um, and scoring goals and getting people off their seats. So I needed people who who I believe could do that, and it meant it meant that, you know tinkering with some of the players who were already there, like for example Simon Clist, who who I'd seen play, and 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 Simon King, who who I, you know so you know I, I rotated their positions basically. I pulled Simon Clist back to left back, and I put Simon Clist, uh, uh, sorry Simon King alongside Ishmael most unlikely pairing because they were you know they wouldn't say boo to a goose you know trying to get trying to get a conversation out the two of them was ridiculous 
Um, I, suppose, I suppose having Ian Hendon on the right-hand side might have helped that situation well, a little bit. They didn't get a word in. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so yeah, then, so the back four was, was forming into place um, very, very quickly. And then we had this situation of, um, of I needed energy. I needed energy and dynamism in, in that midfield area, you know. And, and of course, there was a young kid, two young kids who I was, I was aware of, um, Nicky Bailey uh, and Dean Sinclair. Now, Nicky was, had been tearing it up in the league that I'd watched for a while and was still only, I think, 17, 18. And Dean, Dean Sinclair, who who I'm still in touch with now, you know, and he he was up until a few weeks ago living around the corner from me. Um, and these two kids um, just had this exuberance and and desire. And then I, I you know I, I needed um, I needed uh, a steady player in midfield who was. Uh, it was really sort of calming influence most of the times and uh, and big Dwayne you know he was like uh, he was like uh, Clint Eastwood if you like you know uh, <laughs> very underrated and yeah I mean he, he did a great job he, he stood in all the right places um, he was uh, let's face it he was a he was a poor man's Firmino at the at the moment <laughs> And um, but it, he he was uh, you know he was what I needed to to balance off the the atrocious and devastating runs that that Sinclair and uh, Bailey made and of course Richard Graham was given a, a free hand and then you know we had a, we had players like uh, uh, Hatchy you know and. Um, Ben Strevens and of course Giuliano who I'd worked with before and uh, you know there were other other players as well but we you know I, I, correct me if I'm wrong fellas but I believe my first proper game was against Arsenal at home yeah 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 we weren't gonna we weren't gonna mention that one well this is this is what I tell uh, you know anyone who I know these days who, who gets a hiding you know, and I see lots of people getting real tonks. You know, and I, I always send them a message and say, "Look, guys, don't worry about it. This is this is exactly what I experienced. I can remember Richard Graham scoring for us and going one 0 up, and it was just like prodding a hornet's nest. And um, and I, I remember that uh, the chairman didn't talk to me for about a week. <laughs> I mean, he, he was walking around Barnet with a false moustache and a hat. <laughs> and, um, but you know. We, you know, the, the season, there was, a, there was a great start for us, you know, and, and great humbling and, and unsettled the players, there's no doubt. And, the, and there were other, the other times early on that, that, that unsettled the team, but, uh, you know, it just went on and grew from there. Yeah, well, that's, that's where I was going to sort of start from with that season. Obviously, we've all got really special memories of it and, and we're looking forward to hearing some of your standout ones in a, in a moment. But, yeah, the first couple of games, you know, you mentioned the pre-season wasn't particularly outstanding results-wise, but you can never read too much into that. Um, but then it's sort of the second Saturday of the season is where things kind of kicked off at Halifax. Um, you know, we're 2-0 down at half-time. 
uh, only to fight back and win three two. We've spoken to quite a few of the players who were involved that day and, and about the you know the significance of that moment. Uh, you know, Grazioli was saying he, th- he felt that was a real turning point in the whole season. Um, you know, was that the moment for you as well where you began to believe, or you know, do you feel you put things in place? ready for that um, and also I suppose on that what did you say at half time to uh, inspire that comeback right it's quite interesting that you, you that I didn't know you were going to call this game up um, but those two games the both the games was, were, were key key moments of course but the the one at, at Halifax um, remember the manager was Chris Wilder uh, yeah. who who Chris and I we you know we got on famously because he'd been helping me with England C and promoting, always phoning me up, putting his players forward. And I remember we'd we'd been working on um, new tactics for the players to deal with crosses and things. And we had a we had an offside trap uh, ready, and it worked something like, you know, you'd, we'd be picking up on the edge of the box. The players would be picking up on the edge uh, edge of the box, and. Ian Hendon would call the shots. Uh, he'd say, who's got the four? Now, if he said, who's got the four, that means we were going to leg it as soon as the guy ran out. If he said, who's got the seven, or who's got the three, in other words, the odd numbers, we'd stick. Right? And we d- went through that good many times before. Well, dear old Lachie, <laughs> we, we pegged it out of the box and there's Liam standing in there wondering why he's all left by himself I'm, I'm playing everyone else but anyway look and yeah I I probably um, I I would say that's one, that was one of the best it, it wasn't so much a tactical thing at half time it was just more of a speech you know it was a bit of a, I have to say, it was a bit of a Churchillian speech that, um, that just roused everybody up. And I think, I think it was a matter of minutes before we were back to two-two, was it? Yeah, yeah I, think, I think I think we got we got one back quite early. And actually, I recently watched uh, that season back. I think there's the, the videos on YouTube, and uh, Liam Hatch, to his credit, I think, you know, despite the uh, his mistake, I suppose for their, for their goal. He scored. He scored a goal. He, he scored the equaliser. It was a goal that only he would have scored. Yeah, yeah. Because he, he, he went and won the ball back, like having had no right to go and win the ball back, and then he went through and scored. And then of course Gratz goes and scores that lob, and we're all going down the terrace like uh, not, like nothing's happened. It felt like something special was happening that day. You know, it was the second second weekend into the season. Yeah, there was a lot, there was a lot of doubt in the, and 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 finger pointing, uh, and I do know for a fact that one or two players were pointing the finger at finger at me, suggesting that that this wasn't going to work. This, you know, and we're we're quite angry. You know, when it when the goal went in, one one player ran towards me, pointing his finger at me, blaming me at it, and uh, so there was those sort of things to deal with in the changing room afterwards you know it was a case of a certain my position as the manager at half time that's for sure and and then yeah that was a that was a, a fantastic uh result for us and and, and it, we were up and running there was there was a newfound belief with the with the group after that yeah and then things really started to snowball from there very quickly and we ended up in a position very quickly that we were in a quite dominant position in the league 
I guess there was a there was oh, I say there's a few. There's several moments though um, throughout that early stage, certainly in the first half of the season, where we all sort of started to look at each other on the terraces and think this really could start to happen. You know, um, Ian's put out a list in the questions of the games that really stand out, but he's missed one, which was that Tuesday night away at Exeter when we won three 0 and we we were missing Liam Hatch. I think uh, no, sorry, we we're missing Gratz and Hendon that night. But then, of course, you think about Carlisle, uh, the 3-1 game there. Uh, Aldershot, the 3-2, where they'd um, equalised twice. And then Simon King scored that unbelievable goal late on. Um, you know, all of these big moments happening in the first half of the season. Was that starting to build, you know, your confidence, the team's confidence? And, uh, you know, what were those moments like winning those games? Yeah, I mean, there were so many dramatic moments in that first half that suggested something something special could be happening. Like you say, you know, these 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 wins, Simon Clist's uh, fantastic goal against Olshot was was memorable. The the game at Exeter just unfolded beautifully for us. Um, one of the key games that uh, that that stood out for me was the the the, the two games against Stevenage. Um, Purely because, um, I, I, you know, things were going well, but I was at this stage. I was being stalked uh, <laughs> by by um, Graham Graham Wesley, and and he was uh, sending me a series of texts. And I think forget forgive me if I'm if I'm right. It was round about the tsunami time, wasn't it? The first game, same day, Boxing Day, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah, Boxing Day 2004. And um, and we uh, he'd, he'd been texting me saying he was coming to get me the night before, the few days before, and can't wait to have you at uh, when we when you come out to the uh, you know Rodol, and uh, and of course they beat us, and then um, he said, "Told you." Uh, text text straight after the game. Text me. I told you. We we I'm, I, I can't wait now for. New Year's Day, you know, where we'll be. So anyway, on and on and on. And of course, at the stroke of midnight, New Year's Eve, I get a text from Graham saying, can't wait to destroy you tomorrow. And of course, if you if you guys recall, we got, um, we got a corner very near the end of the game and the keeper had no need to to flick it off for a cor- for a corner and i think i think ishmael came in at the far post and put it in do you guys remember right. yeah. oh remember, yeah. that clear, remember that clear as day and uh and of course i thought wow something something is something's really happening here you know because things were just the team had got to a, a point where they found it very difficult to not win games. They wanted to win every single game, you know, and uh, and the football and the goals was quite 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 exciting. For, for we knew we knew that something could happen. We never knew for sure what what would happen. Did you um, at any point feel the need to respond to Mr. Wesley after that after that victory? Well, no. I mean, you, you mean your former manager, Mister Wesley? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. We sort of tried to block that one out as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, listen, uh, Graham. You know, we've got we've we've crossed paths many times before. Uh, after that, Graham. You know, and he's been. I mean, when he went to, when he got his move to um, the football league, 
he, he, he went to Preston, didn't he? No. Uh, and England C had a game up that neck of the woods and he let me use the entire training facilities, laid on the pitch for us. Um, yeah, he was he was an interesting uh, man, Graham. You know, misunderstood by a lot of people, I have to say, because he, if you get to know him, there's a there's a there is a different person in there, but makes it hard for himself at times. Yeah, you have, 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 have to you have to forgive us for only seeing one side of the coin on that one. I think. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, you know, you so said the first half of that season was incredible. Those games missed out. Crawley, Gravesend, the Lee RMI last-minute home win. You know, so we could have a whole podcast just on that. Yeah. But moving into the second half of the season, um, you know, we had a little bit of a wobble around February, lost, a couple of losses. But generally speaking, you know, we were ahead and we were well ahead. So was there a point at, you know, 14, 17, I think at one point, 20 points clear where you kind of thought, yeah, job done? Or was that literally not until that whistle went against Halifax? Um no, I just wanted to get that whistle. I wanted to get that done. Um, there was no question. Just, just keep driving the players. Do you know what? What was amazing about that season is, and I've always said it with successful teams. I mean, we didn't have a massive squad, you know, and, and I didn't really take on board an, an, an assistant, uh, you know, during that campaign. And the reason I didn't take on a, a proper assistant was because. I didn't want to, I, this was becoming a death wish with me because I'd failed or no, I hadn't made it with, with the, you know, Stevenage because of what happened. So I didn't want to be able to, I just wanted to do this uh, and say, right, okay, you did this by yourself. And I, it was quite a selfish and quite a foolish thing to do. Um, but I just had to do it uh, the way I did it. and. I didn't want to listen to anybody else and get distracted by any anything else, um, and and that's why I just, just you know, was so focused on on playing the way we were playing, believing in the players. But what we didn't get many injuries, and that was because I believe of of the fitness machine. We were the fittest and the strongest team in the, that league and that was what we set out to be and we became the most entertainment and most exciting team in 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 that league as well um and i, I remember watching one game on, on on television where halifax unexpectedly beat carlisle was it or somebody like that they played on the same day as what we we played that rings a bell Rings it rings yeah. a bell, uh, and and it was an unexpected win, because uh, I remember going home with my family, and we'd had a result, and then I watched we watched that game together, and we all knew what result we wanted, um, and it fell into our lap right near the end of that game. I, I can't recall. I, I just got a feeling it could have been Halli Carlisle and Halifax because Carlisle were. Anyway, so, but the big game, obviously, Halifax was a was a big game, and and I don't want to jump you, you to it, but the Carlisle game at home was massive, absolutely massive for me and and everybody, I think, uh, uh, everybody. Yeah, because I think they've been. I, I mean, I almost glossed over the the Carlisle win away, which you know that occasion was one of those things where you really stood up and took notice of it because it was 
9,200 crowd. I think it was the second biggest crowd in the conference of all time at that point. Yeah. Um, and great. it was a great occasion that we went into that pressure cooker and won, obviously without Gratz uh, playing as well. Um, I think there'd been some stories of some needle between perhaps uh, Carlisle and Barnett, particularly after that game. So that event, even though we'd already won the league, the, the Tuesday night home game probably took on a little bit more importance from a from a personal perspective, I suppose. Yeah, I mean, I think everyone just wanted to make sure that the ground was pretty full that night, if I recall. Yeah. yeah. And whatever happened, I think we were going to be presented with the, with the, the trophy. Um, and I, I remember uh, the chairman, he was, he was at the side of the dugouts holding onto the fence, screaming his head off. You know, like, like I think everybody else was at that time. And I remember the the goal in in, in in slow motion. You know, there was moments to go, and um, I mean, it it just felt like a massive win, even though it it wasn't. And I remember quite clearly being in the centre of the pitch, <laughs> my, with my arms in the air, and some one of their players ran past me and he said he said fuck off you southern get <laughs> and, I, and i looked at him and i legged it you know <laughs> and uh, he was very big so i legged it <laughs> but yeah i just found myself in the middle of the pitch with my arms in the air because i thought that was it that was it very I, very I, much the icing on the cake that night wasn't it your goals, yeah I think we've all I think we've all had those moments where a goal's gone in and then 20 seconds later we realise what on earth what, what's going on because you just you just go yeah. to a bit of a blur, don't you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, but no, I mean, uh, like I said, we just seem to be able to keep the momentum going with the same small group of players throughout the the, the season. There's absolutely a risk that we labour this point too hard, but I'm prepared to take that risk. Um, when, when, we, when you reflect on that season, we, you know, we talked about some of the big games. We talked about the, the players that were assembled. We talked about a, a new training regime that those players wouldn't have, have had. As you reflect, are there any aspects or ingredients of that season that, that we, we, haven't, we haven't picked up? Any unsung heroes you, you reflect on now? As... Um, no, not really. I mean, the, the the training facilities that we had were were absolutely uh, atrocious, you know. And uh, um, but it that didn't that didn't phase the players at all, you know. They just they they just a lot of this stuff, a lot of that season went on in the change in in on on the uh, on the training pitch, you know. A lot of it, you know, um, and and the players just to their credit just. It was new to them, all of them. It was new what we were doing, and and it was refreshing for them. Um, it was tough. Make no mistake, it was tough. The regime was very very tough, but it equipped us really well to to, you know. I'd like to say I, I don't want to use this the the, the term grind, grinding the results out. We didn't. We we were fresh every game, and um, I mean there were some disappointing games going up to Northwich near the end of the season turned out to be a bit of a blessing because um, although we took massive supporters it just gave us the opportunity to really celebrate against uh, Halifax you know so um, 
no I mean it was just um, just a great season that that just remains so so dear to me and I'll never forget it ever oh I think I can speak for all of us and probably everybody listening when they, when it says neither will they no no one will forget that season particularly uh, in the context of where we are today as a football club but um I suppose if we we need to move on at some point um, to to uh, some other topics, and uh, I suppose you know we've spoken about um, you know some of the players and some of the inspired signings that you made, particularly in that season. Um, you know, I think we spoke about it a little bit around uh, moulding some players from their preferred positions into different positions. Um, you know, uh, like Simon King and Simon Clish, for example. Uh, you know, Ben Strevens was one. Jason Punchin, perhaps a little bit later on, and, and Nicky Bailey as well. Um, you know, where you've taken them from their natural position and then shaped them into into somewhere else. Was that something that was done like on purpose? Or did you ever meet any resistance from those players when you were doing that? No, you know, quite often um, players players want to express themselves, you know, and and they can get labelled very early on, even back in the in their school, that that is their position, you know, and it's. Only when you can un- unleash them from the chains that they've been carrying around for years that you can see the true player. I mean, I remember a game with um, with uh, Jason Punchin. I remember going up to, um, I think it was MK Dons, uh, and against all the odds, I think we we won we won the game up there. I don't know whether you recall it. Is that the new, yeah, Jacobu, that, the, the new st- at the new stadium one 0 wasn't it? Yeah, at the new stadium, and uh, Jason Punchin, I just gave him the role. He, he went because of circumstances. He played in the centre of midfield, and I said to him, I said, I said to Jason, so you you need to be our captain out there at the moment. And he just reveled in the game. You know, it was like the Alamo. We all know that, but I mean, that kid had so much ability, and it was no surprise to all of you guys and to me that he, he did so so well it was just a shame that you know problems were still getting in the way of Jason even when he was playing in the premiership you know and uh, he he to me didn't reach that potential that I felt he could have done I, I think Jason could have gone on and played you know for for the national side yeah no certainly one of the best players I think we've, we've seen at Underhill um, over our time definitely and I think you know you mentioned a number of players there and obviously as a manager you've got to make lots of big calls on on players and I think one position in particular that's always interesting to think about the manager's perspective is the goalkeeper um, you know you had a couple of big calls on those in your first couple of years at Barnet because obviously you came in and we had Shane Gore in goal who was a very popular member with, of the team with the fans and in really good form initially and was quite unlucky with injury he gets replaced by Scott Tynan who ends up going in as number one because he was just an amazing signing but then once he got back in the league Ross Flitney went in ahead of him um, just wanted to cut how hard were those decisions to make and what was the thinking behind them yeah um, do you know I'm not a goalkeeping coach and I know Gary did Gary Phillips used to come and do a couple of sessions for me um, so I you know I, it's a position that I, I you know I, a lot of teams will start with a great goalkeeper you know but I, I did I, I started with it <laughs> the other way around really I just wanted us to be so dominant on the field of play that you know any of us could have gone in goal for the team you know so but hey we had some goalkeepers I mean Flipney and Tyne and um, that was really interesting and uh, 
I'll, I'll tell you a story with between those two um because it was it was it was difficult you know because they were both had different uh, abilities and acquisites uh both young both quite headstrong um scott had traveled all the way down from you know the north to, to be part of it and was unsettled at first um but i remember taking the clock forward to the manchester united game and i remember uh the problems that went on with the selection of the goalkeeper at that game and you know once we saw that that the um i'd made a decision of who was going to go in goal and i announced it the day before when we were up in manchester because we trained on a park near the ground and scott went into a terrible state because he he'd been left out and um and it came to a point where he was coming quietly disruptive i'd contemplated take you know sending him home at one stage you know um he couldn't help himself he'd gone you know for him he was missing the biggest moment in his possible career and of course when when ross got sent off after seconds um scott tynan actually went into a state of shock he, he was because i believed with the side that alex sir alex was putting out we had a chance that night i you know you might think i'm crazy but i really believe we had a chance if we'd have had 11 men on that pitch with the type of team he put out uh, but scott tynan went into a into a state of shock and when he got on there it was quite clear to me that because i think i brought louis suarez off didn't i yeah yeah uh, and he didn't get a touch of the ball um but the first thing the first touch that scott had to do twice was pick it out of the net, net twice because he was he, he wasn't there he was he, he'd gone and it was only later on that he managed to bed himself in but the story the story i was about i'm relating to is a few years later i picked when uh, scott had left barnet i picked him for an england or one of the england seed tournaments in uh three four nations tournaments and the same thing happened uh we had a he played in one game and i did the other keeper the second game and then the third game which was a final against wales um i, I left scott out again and of course he, he did not react he was positive about it and I remember sitting on the bench. He was he was to my right hand side, looking down down. And the next thing, Wales were beating us up. They were smashing us and kicking us, and um, and they smashed the the keeper at the time. Can't remember who it was. And Scott was on the bench, and we both leaned, leaned forward, and I looked down the line to Scott, and he looked down the line, and he looked up the line to me, and we both nodded our heads at the same time as if to say yeah we've been here we've done this before <laughs> and, and he went on and had an absolute blinder so he was confused why i'd picked him in the first place because he thought i i hated him because of how he behaved uh, but then the, obviously he'd learned so much from that experience so sorry to go all around that area but um that was quite a poignant moment in that particular game and that for those two goalkeepers but they got on great together 
Yeah, that's interesting. You said we've we've, uh, we've we've spoken to Scott a little bit about his time at Barnet, and it's interesting to, to hear kind of the other side of it as well. Because I think he would he sort of acknowledged that he was young and a bit angry with some of the things that went on at the time, and he did refer to the the England Sea stuff afterwards, and kind of you know you saw each other at a reunion a few years ago, and you know times passed, and and you know there's a lot of good memories that outweigh any any bad blood there. Yeah. I mean, on on Ross Flitney, on Ross Flitney, would you know it's. Uh, from what you saw of him, because I remember around the time of the Man United game, he put in some really great performances. I remember Southend at home in the FA Cup where oh. it could have been a cricket score if it weren't for him. Yeah. Um, but, you know, from your perspective as the manager, how much did that moment impact, not just his Barnet career, I suppose, but his football career? You know, did it did it do the damage that I suppose it would look like to the average supporter? You're talking about Ross? Yeah, and, and the Man United incident. Um, I, don't, I don't, I don't know. Uh, Ross went. Ross went on to have a. Uh, he's a coach now at Eastleigh with with Ben, isn't he? And yeah. Oh, so he'll have learned stuff from that. But I mean, look, I go back to that game. I've seen that referee so many times since. You know, we we when I was doing my uh, working for Arsenal, you know, doing games and that, I used to bump into him all the time, and he used to he, he used to take a quick exit when he saw me, but then one day we did actually. We were in a position where um, we couldn't not meet meet eye to eye with each other, and uh, and we talked about the incident. And he said, like you know, he he felt he overreacted. Well, it's fair to say. I think his phone number was on the FA website, and a few Barnet fans overreacted as well. But it's uh, that's all in the past, and no one on this podcast was involved. Um, of course. <laughs> And, that, and that's goalkeepers for you as well, just generally as well. Mad as a box of frogs, a lot of them. Um, talk about some of the other signings. And there are so many that we could talk about that went on to have unbelievable careers at, at, you know, at the top level. Um, two that definitely stand out for us, Jason Punch and we talked about, and, and Albert Adoma, who's still a, a real fan's favourite. I just wonder um, if what you remember about um, the, you know, the moments that brought both of those players to the club. Yeah, I can remember... Um... I remember Albert Adoma. He was, I mean, you know, we'd had our eyes on Albert. He was playing for Haraborough. Um, and we, I mean, it was David Howells who was an ex Barnet player, wasn't it? It was managing right. yeah. at the time. And I think, uh, I think we, we signed Albert for a set of shirts. <laughs> and, but, you know, the kid had so much raw ability and when I say raw you, you know it's not something I think if you if you started to coach Albert you'd have lost lost the player he was one of those players who you know he, he'd charge at defenders and then he'd charge at them again he did you know it's just exciting to watch him in, in full flow um, and I'll tell you what I don't know whether you, you ever had the opportunity to meet Albert. He is one of the nicest people you're ever gonna gonna meet. I mean, he, he's he, he's you say he's adored. I know when he he was is at Villa. He was a he was doing work by himself in the community. He, he's just a, a lovely, lovely man, you know. And he's got a lovely, lovely family. Great, great kid, and a great footballer. Yeah, I don't think any of us can speak highly enough of Albert. I think we all uh, experienced him at like Player of the Year, dude. He was just so approachable and just 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 an all-round nice bloke. And obviously went on to do great things, as did many of other 
uh, signings that you made over the course of time. Obviously, we talked about Jason Punch and Nicky Bailey went on to good, great things as well. And of course, Trezor Candle, who we've had on the podcast before, who speaks very highly of you, uh, almost like a father figure with his time at the uh, at the club. Um, obviously, with his troubles. Um, but is there, is there anybody that you would look at and go, you know, he was my best signing, or do you look at them? as you know collectively no. collectively as you know top players all of them yeah a lot it was a, it was um a lot. it was it's it was it was it was very sad to lose so many players over such a short space of time you know um you know i mean okay it was funds for the club but it was leaving it was leaving big holes in the t- in the team you know and and you can't keep going on and, and finding the jewels that we were finding. Um, I mean, uh, Nicky Bailey, I, I had to work so hard with, with Nicky Bailey because um, Nicky was a complete one-off as a, as a, as a person, Nicky, you know, I mean, uh, and we all know Nicky, he, he, was, he was just, I mean, even till a couple of years ago, playing for Sutton, he was, he was terrific in the middle and that, for Sutton and he came back to Barnet I believe and uh, never got going there I think he was only there a few weeks wasn't he yeah yeah. Um, but it was the wrong thing for Nicky to do but um, Nicky was the sort of he was a, a thoroughbred winner you know and a fighter he, he would he would he'd, he'd fight his own shadow Nicky Bailey <laughs> and I mean seriously you know he was he was sort of um it was sort of almost angry when he got onto the pitch. I mean, putting putting him and Ian Hendon together in the changing room was was quite an experience altogether. Absolutely, you know. And we talk about that Gravesend game. Well, goodness me, what went on in the changing room at, at that half time between those two was nobody's business. <laughs> but it worked, didn't it? It certainly did. Definitely, definitely. I mean, we've talked about some fantastic players there. And I mean, you know, in any manager's tenure and it's long term like yours at Barnet, there's a, a few notable quirky ones too. I think Wesley Garcia springs to mind as an, an unusual name that popped up over the years. Yeah. Um, but I wondered as well, uh, over the time at Barnet, is there anyone that we nearly signed who we kind of missed out on? That, you know, are there any regrets or any, any ones that got away? Um, I'm sure there were, but, you know, if I'm being honest, I there was there was... There was none that I was going to really, really cry over, you know. Um, so, you know, I was at the, I was at the, sort of, you know, if we didn't get someone, I'd say, right, okay, we, it wasn't meant to be. And so there's no use me moping around about it. So I don't know, you guys might might know names that were bantered around there at the time, you know, and, and I don't really recall because I, I dismissed them as soon as it happened. Yeah, no, no one, no one really springs to mind. I'm sure the rumor mill was rumor mill was doing uh, doing its job at the time. But um, well, throw a few names then, and I'll tell you. If oh, I can't remember. Um, remember Anthony Eldin talked yeah. about a lot at one point. Yeah, and Anthony Eldin would have loved to have come to play for me because obviously he was he was playing for me at England C. Um, yeah, that that was uh, we we came close to that, and I would have liked Anthony to be with us. Yeah, don't know how it had gone down with the uh, Barnes supporters, but. Um, yeah, he was keen to come, and then I think I don't know what got in the way in the end. 
we we hated him playing against us. I think we'd have liked him if he was on our side. One of those kind of characters, wasn't he? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, and he always scored against us as well, didn't he? But um, you know, I think you know we've spoken about the league winning season, which obviously we can't talk about uh, on a podcast for you um, without mentioning it. But we also can't talk about um, uh, we obviously can't have a podcast without talking about the cup runs. Um, as Ian mentioned, you know, we went to the FA Cup fourth round twice, and that was a record. And we'll come on to talk about that in a minute, but. You know, the luck of the draw was certainly with us uh, when we when we first got back into the League Cup. And, you know, we spoke about it a little bit earlier on, but Man United away, I remember exactly where I was when that name came out of the hat. I was in the Durham suite. We were about to play Rochdale and, well, the place got turned upside down. People were that, that going that mad about it. Um, I just wonder, from start to finish, you know, where were you when... I suppose as well, actually, the the two games before it, the Bristol City away game and the Plymouth home game in that in that uh, in that run were both special. But where were you when that Man United draw came out, and uh, what was your reaction to, to um, put, put put your wits against Alex Ferguson of all people? Well, the, first of all, I would just refer you back to that one game back, the Bristol game. Um, there was a standout moment there. It was probably one of the best goals I've ever seen, and I've got. I've got a, a, a big photograph of, of the conclusion of the Macy run that Nicky Bailey went on from, from near the corner flag. Uh, I don't know whether you recall it. I'm not just I'm not just saying this. That is I'm not just saying this is the be- that is the best goal I've ever seen live. I'm not just saying that. <laughs> it, it, <laughs> it, was, it was phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. Uh, and then he picked his spot, you know. So um, we were nodded off by the home fans that night as well, if you remember. Everyone gave a standing ovation that night. It's unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I remember that. I recall that, and because we weren't supposed to win that game at all, and uh, it was great. And and the answer to the Man United thing was, no, I haven't got a clue where I was. It was, but whatever it was, I was shell shocked. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it was it was the same sort of scenario when I was at that other club, and it was Newcastle United. <laughs> Yeah. everything went into a blank you know so um, and I remember um, a friend of mine who used to be the merchandise director at, at, at Old Trafford he he managed to um, get me a visit to, to the to the ground uh, we had two visits in fact to, to Old Trafford and uh, beforehand just to familiarise myself with the whole setup and and what have you yeah but that um yeah, cra- crazy, crazy, crazy. Um, but so pleased for the players to, you know, and just such a shame. I remember the kit, was it that purple kit, wasn't it? Yeah. For the benefit of Kevin Mullen, avid listener, he will refer to it as violet and black. The half, <laughs> the half and half yeah. uh, special kit, wasn't it? Yeah. and But, um, um, I mean, to, to uh, I mean, with 10 men at Old Trafford, uh, you know, throughout that for the whole game, had one bad, you know, and and when we scored that, when Dino got the goal, well, that was fantastic in front of our own supporters. I remember, mm. the, they they the supporters behind the goal went absolutely bananas. Yeah, Fan- fantastic. Just a shame we. I mean, Sir Alex was furious. By the way, gents, he was absolutely fuming when Ross got sent off because he wanted a real test, you know. So we showed a different side of our character there, you know. We had to dig in very, very deep to to avoid, you know, a, a humiliation. 
Yeah, and we had a goal chalked off for offside that wasn't. But yeah, what can you do? It's fifteen years ago. Let's get over it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be hard, though, won't it? Never mind. Yeah, and if I remember rightly, I mean, again, we could talk about Man United all day long. But a year later, we got maybe not as big a club, and I could see how that might upset people. But we got drawn Leeds away. Yeah, the the Leeds game was interesting. I think I came under a bit of criticism, particularly from the from the chairman, because I I just. Uh, the side was a bit. If I can remember, it was just, my selection was a little bit different for that game, um, and 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 I don't think we we didn't really turn up for that game. It's not a fond memory of mine. Going to Leeds was was good, but I just felt I'd I'd let a few people down with that 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 game, you know. I mean, it's a question that, uh, in some respects, I feel like I've waited 15 years to ask. But and we we spoke to Trezor Candle as well, and I think he uh, he's probably the obvious one. I think he started on the bench and and he came on in the second half, and we actually had a real go at him. And I remember thinking, you know what, we we might have we might have beaten these. And I, I I just wondered if there were reasons why, or if it's just one of those, you know one of those things in football that happened. Yeah, you have to forgive me if I'm wrong. It would I'd have to remember the time of the year, but I think. It, it might have been very close to the time when Trezor was getting a move. Yeah, it was. Yeah. And I think that came into a little bit of it. Uh, and I remember sitting with Trezor on, because Trezor, as you're probably aware, was no saint. I had a thing going with Trezor, you know, uh, there's no, no question about it. And, um, you know, we used to communicate when he was, when he'd been, you know where he was. I, I still used to communicate with him, you know, and and keep him going. And um, but I think that there was there was a point where Trezor needed to go. He needed to leave Barnet. Um, I think you know he he got wind of the being clubs interested, um, and I think that came into my thought process when leaving him on the bench first and then you know so yeah that's yeah that's understandable I think it's, it's, it's important to say we can't mention Trezor Candle without mentioning the fact that throughout the podcast with him he referred to you as Mr Fairclough at uh, all times and said that you were the reason he signed for the club and was very very clear about that so um yeah he, he was really respectful about that, that whole thing no good good and a big, big part of us getting to Leeds, he scored those two goals at Cardiff. That was another great cup, cup experience as well, winning at Ninian Park, although a bit of a scary one leaving yeah. uh, amongst the home supporters afterwards. But staying with the theme of the Cups, um, moving on to the FA Cup. For years, we were notoriously pretty poor in the FA Cup, pre your era, going through most of the 90s. We never really seemed to get many good results or draws even. Um, but then, you know, in 2007 and 2008, we made history, as we said at the start, we're making the fourth round both times. There were some incredible moments and memories from both of those runs. We've talked about lots of them on previous episodes, whether it be the ridiculousness of games with Trinity away, the brilliance of Adam Birchall's goal at Swindon, the drama of Punchin's incredible goal against Colchester. Loads of memories for us. I just wonder what kind of stands out for you from those two magnificent cup runs. Jason Punchin missing the penalty. Oh, Bristol Rovers. <laughs> oh, such an anti-climax that day. Uh, and, and, and do you know, um, the actual draw, when we got so far, we didn't pull out a big fish. You know, a yeah. really big fish. Um, I think everybody was hoping that we'd get that. I remember walking through... Um, 
Barnet, the, the, they used to have in the main road, the uh, main high street used to be a, a, um, a, mar a marketplace in that main high street every Sunday, was it? Or mm. And I remember yeah. walking through, and I think I think Jeff might have been, Jeff Sir might have been with us at the time, and, and, and the draw was coming through for one of the games, and it was a, we were all hoping for a big name when we never, never it never came out, you know. But but great great performances and and you know so close to going even further. Yeah, I think I think we played Swindon in that replay, didn't we? Because obviously that Adam Birchall goal that will always go down in everyone's memory is talk about bananas in the stand. Blimey, that was ridiculous. Um, but it was um, we played Swindon in that replay, and I remember Bristol Rovers were playing Fulham, and Fulham Fulham like aren't the biggest name, but they were I think I think they were a Premier League club at the time. Ian, correct me yeah, if I'm yeah. wrong. Yeah, so yeah. It, it was one of those, and then Bristol Rovers shot Fulham, so we ended up playing Bristol Rovers. Uh, yeah, obviously that both both of those, and of course you had the year before where Scott Sinclair scored that unbelievable goal for Plymouth against us. Um, but you know, great times all round, weren't they? Yeah, really? fantastic times, fantastic. Yeah. Um, obviously, you've been manager of the club, but you've also had different roles within the club. I think um, just. Uh, talking about roles within Barnet Football Club, if we just start off, I think we spoke about it earlier around, uh, you know, you didn't have an assistant for the league winning season, but then you didn't have an assistant, an official assistant manager all the way through uh, your time at the club. Um, I think you talked about it briefly around, you know, you wanted to sort of do your own thing through that. Was it? Was there anything uh, perhaps later on at your time at the club that maybe made you question that or or was yeah, it just I something mean, that um, something that you just did all look, the way through? Look, Look, when 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 things aren't going going as well as they are, all sorts of questions start get, getting asked. And um, I was going through a pe period where I needed support, uh, and and I I didn't really get it. You know, I, I didn't really get the support uh, that I felt I needed, and that was off the pitch and also in the changing room, you know. Um, I detected some things that uh, I wasn't I wasn't happy with, you know. And uh, but I just felt unsupported at the time. And uh, I remember clearly uh, my last game at uh, my last proper game at Bournemouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And. Um, it had been decided for me that I wasn't going to be there any any longer, and um, I, and it's a shame because I, I felt I had so much more to do, but I'd lost my way, you know. But I just needed to find my way again. Um, and you know, looking back on that, I see you know, Bournemouth went up to the Premier Division, and Barnet went down to the National League again, you know. And uh, when really my designs were for Barnet to put it to go the other way for Barnet to be up there you know but it, that just never happened so um, yeah so changes would have made changes um, I would have made lots of changes yeah um, none, none that I would want to specify in particular but I would have done I would have made lots of changes yeah I mean I was very, I was very loyal to Barnet you know very loyal because I, I mean, there were, you know, there was interest even though I was, I was, you know, pushing on a few years. There was interest, and, but 
but I was just loving it at Barnet and Barnet had been became sort of ingrained in here you know and um, so yeah it still is yeah it's interesting to talk about that. I mean I think you know hindsight's a wonderful thing as well isn't it for people who at the time you know where where Barnet maybe weren't doing so well if we look at the bigger picture it wasn't maybe we weren't doing so well at that point in League 2 and and you know no. we talked about some of the players we had playing for us in, in that time as well it's it, you know it was maybe a better area looking back than it maybe seen that, that end bit at the time yeah, it's really I mean, interesting to hear you say that the some of the, the some of the players that we uh, we had in League Two, um, some of them weren't weren't as good as the lads we had in in when we were playing in the, in National League, you know. But it's just the way the way it, it fell, you know. And um, recruitment, my recruitment wasn't great, uh, and there were people being thrown players at the club from all angles um so no a lot of a lot of different decisions went on during that period it's interesting that you were talking about the decisions and, and you said that the decision was kind of made for you I, I, unless i've got this wrong i remember at the time in late 2008 it kind of been announced that you'd made the call to to step as one of the questions i'd written down here was you know at what point did you make that decision by the sound of things that wasn't the case and i can assume where it came from so how how did that impact the relationship with cleanthos given you know the longevity of your association with the club afterwards well i don't know whether you recall i, I went from being a, a, a football league manager to wearing a hard helmet for 18 months yeah you know, to, to to help develop the hive i mean that became my, my my life um for 18 months um which i learned so much but i I couldn't. I couldn't say it was uh, enthralling me every day, like it was when I was managing, for sure. We'll, we'll, we'll come on to talk about the hive in a bit, I'm sure. Well, it's going to. It's sort of a question I was going to ask, and I'm not sure if it's a controversial question or not. I guess we'll find out as we go. But we, we when we've been doing this podcast, we've kind of focused on a, a twenty odd year period, ninety five ish, uh, and then the twenty years that followed. And and during that time, there's been people like John Still, who were a manager at the club and then moved into a more senior role and, and, and ended up having to make some controversial decisions like management of Tony Cotty and how that process worked. I think after your time, Mark McGee and the Graham Wesley saga that we, we, we half touched on already. Uh, and then, of course, your situation where, again, moving from being a, an established football manager uh, and coach, I should add as well, and, and scouts and all these other very, very football-related type roles... Um, moving into again what appeared from the outside as a, a director of football role, but but probably was more of an ambassador role. Would would you say? How, yeah. Was, that, was it what you expected? No. Um, uh, the director of football role. I mean, you know, people. Came, I mean, I I have to say, um, I, I was given a license at one stage. I mean, it, I actually uh, appointed. Um, Mark Robson, right. that was left entirely up to me, and and I'll I'll tell you now. I mean, Mark Robson uh, was a good choice, but his recruitment uh, was awful. I mean, Mark brought. I mean, I remember starting the game against Port Vale that season, and we had, I think, eight or nine players who'd never played much higher than under 21 football under 18 football uh, and 
Mark was always going to struggle. So the mistake that I, I made there was allowing Mark to become a manager so quickly when he was the right person for us. But he, he should have been the coach of the club, you know, with a, with a manager who was on the same wavelength of him. Um, but I was given a free hand at that. Um, but then obviously different things happened. You know, we had the... Um, the Edgar Davids scenario, um, and then I was never going to. Uh, when Martin came came along, I was that was never going to happen. You know, Martin's his own man, and and that's why, you know, he'd been so successful. He he was that was never. I was never going to be able to to work under those conditions. There's one uh, moment, of course, that we, we we talk about where obviously Ian Hendon came in to manage the team permanently after after you left the, after the Bournemouth game. Uh, obviously, you were still involved in the club at the time, but um, you know Hendon at the end of the following season was 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 Tony Cleanthus's first sacking. Um, you know, were you and then you came in actually to to manage the last two or three games? I think it was to to, to keep us up in the in the football league that year. Um, you know, was that uh, something that was planned, and, and were you were you lined up to to step in before he made that call, or was it something that just happened uh, fluidly? No, it, it it's just something that happened. You know, um, you know, I remember Ian Ian got off to quite a reasonable start. He did in his football uh, management career, and then it uh, you know it, Ian got to know all about the pressures of being a football manager very very quickly. Um, and uh, you know, he, he, Ian found it quite difficult at the end. But no, I was I was asked, would I do that? There was no plan for me to do it. it just you know, I wasn't expecting to do it. But obviously, having a having someone around like me, who's you know, like now, for example, uh, you know, who's who's always going to be available for the club whenever they get into a sticky patch. You know, I'll be there for them. Yeah, is it? I mean, and obviously that that's come come true again very recently. I think to much to the surprise of a lot of people. But get, again, getting that era around there, there were quite a few moments where you could have maybe taken the reins on a more permanent basis. You know, so you kept us up, but then Stimpson came in uh, after Martin Allen left when he came back for three games. Gratz then stepped in, or Laurie Sanchez or whatever. Um, and then obviously you sort of alluded to how Mark Robson came to be in the job. Um, did you ever think, I suppose, or, or want the role again permanently, or were you quite happy with the kind of the upstairs role and the, uh, and the f- no, firefighting when needed? No, no. Listen, let's be totally blunt about it. I, I, I told you, I wasn't ready to, to, to leave when I left. And uh, so I always felt there was unfinished business. But I, I, you know, whoever was managing at the club at the time, I was 100% supporting them all, all the time, you know, absolutely. Um, so it was just uh, no, I, 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 I believe that um, probably uh, Tony thought I'd, I'd done my best work for the club and I understand that you know so but it was, it was handy that I was there with the experience that I got through difficult times that we've had over the last few years yeah, there was another. There was another um, one game in charge in in 2014, um, and of course, then uh, most recently in in March of this year, uh, you know, you stepped in again to to, to help the club out. Um, after that 2014 game, though, um, 
yeah, at what point did you leave the club from all roles? Because it, it all felt like it happened quite quickly um, after that point. I think Martin Allen was was uh, on his way back in. Uh, but, you know, what, what happened around that time that meant that you stepped away from the club in, a, in an official sense? I remember um, once Martin came in, um, it was there was no need for me to be there at all. You know, we, we know what Martin is. He's, he wants to be, Martin wants to run everything that there is at the club. Uh, you know, he wants to be in charge of everything. That's the way he operates. Um, you know, and it's been very successful for him at, at, at Barnet, but it's been to his detriment at, at other, other clubs. But there was no future for me uh, when when Martin was there, there was, it was pointless me being there. I was I was ex excess, you know. So, you know, there was no no point in it at all. I guess we move on to the probably the final bit that we wanted to talk about, and that is the ground move. And again, I, I, it's such a it's still such a, a relevant topic uh, after so many years, and it's still probably one of the the more divisive areas around the the, the fan base. I think. Um, I, I could, I, you know, I suspect we may have different views on it, but it'd be certainly interesting to talk about it because I think it's still interesting for, for you know for people and a debate that carries on. Um, how do you reflect on being part of that whole transition and move and the setup of it, and and and, and what it meant for the next era of Barnet Football Club? Yeah, I mean, look, it was, uh, you know, Barnet had a, a had this this fantastic tradition with Underhill. I mean, it was a, you know, it was iconic, wasn't it? And and everyone loved going down to Underhill on a Tuesday night, and it, it was just, you know, fantastic. But it, if the club were to go forward and grow, um, then they needed to be somewhere else uh, to be able to, you know, have have what they've got now. The trouble is that we've taken too long. The club has taken too long um to get where we are today we're you know we're in a worse position now than what we were when we were at underhill um there is see i i believe i, I and you know i believe that within 10 years time if we get the appointments right uh and the setup right Barnet could, you know, could easily be uh, in in Division One, if not the Championship, in ten years' time. I, I do believe that, uh, and you know, with the conversations that I, that I have with the chairman, um, which are quite frequent, uh, he ha he has definitely he's got that desire as well. It's not something that he's lost sight of. He has got that real desire to get it to, to get it right but he, he knows that uh, he knows it's difficult with supporters uh, at the moment and but that's where he, he lies and um, and and I have to say um, you know I've I've had disagreements with with the chairman and and I've actually told him I I, I told him a few because I was going down to Wonderhill this season and uh, to the hive this season and I had to stop going 
I, I had to stop going to the games and I, I it was after one such game I I you know I, I sent him an email saying look uh, I can't take this any longer and I said to him look recruitment's been terrible um, and of both staff and players over the last few years and we need to get it right if we're going to grow and do you know what he, he, he took it completely on the on the chin and and he, he, he you know he realized that what it was what I was saying was coming from a, a, a good place it wasn't from any other place you know it was what was right for the club and he, he knows that and 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 he you know I believe he's going to try his best to to to, to put it right it's a subject that we've debated a lot on 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 here and i think that um one of the should we say conclusions we've drawn is that it, it's almost too simplistic to call it the hive or underhill that it's a much more nuanced conversation that goes on around it and actually i think what didn't help um what didn't help or hasn't helped is that there are lots of things that make you identify with a football club whether it be the badge the color of the kit the, the location of the ground um, you know, the type of football you play, all these different things that we think of when we support football clubs. I think that it was unfortunate anyway that we were relegated in, in, in the last year at Underhill, which, which made it a difficult transition. But, but I, suspe I, I suspect, when, you know, I, I wouldn't take too much from Twitter because I think, it, you know, there's lots of good and bad on there. But generally, when you speak to people about the subject, um, there's definitely a feeling that we lost a bit of identity, not just with the move, but with other things as well. Um, and, I, and I wouldn't necessarily expect you to comment, but I think I think that's definitely a feeling out there anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I think you, you you are right. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I, I when I when I did in my time when I was at Stevenage, um, I wanted to develop to develop a culture at the football club. You know, and that they could that see most. Clubs. What do we associate Manchester United with? What do we associate? Uh, what type of football do we associate Liverpool with? That is grounding. You know, every club, most clubs have a, a certain cultural identity to the way they play and how they are as as a group. And and you're right, Barnet lost that. You know, and and the blame will be from both sides. You know, so. I, you know, and this is why if Barnet are to be successful, which I believe they can do, they've got to, there's got to be this crucial link between support, the harmony between supporters, the players, and the people who run the club as well. Um, and that's fragmented. I'm, I'm not, you know, I'm not so naive as to not realise that. And that needs to be fixed first. I think that's a point that. I think everyone would align on and agree on um, on all sides of this debate. I think. Yeah, I, you know, and, and it can be done, um, you know, because I, I, like I said, I mean, the, it, whether we like the hive or not, it's a super facility, and it just needs the hive needs to to get a to get a heart. You know, it needs a heart because it's not beating uh, as a heart, and, and 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 that's what it needs. It needs the soul, um, and that can only be be replaced with communication. You know, good communication all, all round from all parties, and 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 you know, the right type of players, the right type of managers, the right decisions from from the top. 
the right style of football and 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 the supporters having a say in, in not dictating what goes on at the club but you know being part of that yeah yeah and i think i know james is going to come in sorry james i know, I know you're going to come in about the sort of recent stint back at the club but i think a point that craig and i know spoke about before we recorded this was you know as someone who hasn't been down to the hive an awful lot in recent years um you know, when you came back in recently and we watched your interview after the Bromley game and we saw that enthusiasm and obviously the familiar look, voice, whatever else, the full Fairclough, it, it certainly kind of, I think the, the, the description of a heartbeat is exactly that. It sort of, it, it was definitely something in me and I think certainly I can speak for Craig on that as well where you kind of felt like, yes, that's that's Barnet, that's someone who, who's, who's got the club's DNA in them. Um, and, and so I don't know, it's, 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 it's that interesting point, isn't it? You know, do, do you keep going back to type or, you know, is it should it all be people who've, got the club's identity in their own knowledge um it's a difficult one yeah i mean that 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 came about uh, uh i'll tell you how that came about really um it wasn't it wasn't triggered by my message that i'd sent to tony you know i think tony will always make his own decisions on what was going on and you mentioned about you know you mentioned he, about the previous second of one of the managers Tony's never sacked a manager. <laughs> Officially. <laughs> yeah. So, um, so what, what happened was, look, I, I took a phone call and from Tony and said, look, um, I've got it. I'm, 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 I've got some big plans going on and I, um, and I need to find, uh, a manager to, 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 to run the side for me for a couple of games because he was that close to, to doing something um, and I said look okay I will I will take over the team um, for two games with a caveat to do one more that was the agreement that I had with Tony no more um, because I'll tell you now Though I put every ounce that I possibly had of my knowledge and the whole bit with those players for that period of time. I don't remember the trip to Stockport because I sat in an area, private area on the coach and basically interviewed each player for, for 20 minutes or more of it needed. Every single player who was on that coach to find out what they were about, what they wanted, where they were going, how they felt just you know and trying to get into them trying to inspire them trying to motivate them i mean and so i went into the the brom uh, the bromley situation and i was i was ch genuinely chuffed to bits with i mean okay they we, we we you know they went down to 10 men um uh and but i thought i, I thought we were playing good football we were competing and I was pleased that we got, you know, got a point out of the game. Uh, and then Stockport was an even better performance. So, I mean, I felt we dominated large spells of the, of the game in the second half. And I, and I was I was thrilled uh, by the response we were getting. The lads were buying into everything that we were doing on the pitch and, and inside. Um, and the spirit was, was lifting. You know, the players were, were, were being were feeling great about themselves for the first time and um and then the chesterfield game 
was the classic case of of two steps forward and one big step back. We came across a team who, for me, are one of the best teams in the league at the moment. They've got a bright, young, clever, intelligent manager who's a winner, and he'd been working with the with the team for months and months, and it was just too much for our our players at, at the time. Just far, but it was it, it it was a step we could have done without that that particular that that game. Um, and all sorts of things went on on in in that game. I mean, let's face it; it could have been three or four after five minutes. But we steadied ourselves, and we had opportunities to perhaps nick one or two goals ourselves. But uh, that was me done then. You know, I'd agreed that that was it. It wasn't a case that you know we we hadn't performed well on the on the on the day. I'd fulfilled my part of the agreement that I'd I'd done those three games for the club in which time Tony was supposed to have got himself a new manager. Yeah, and I think the conversation we've had, particularly in the last sort of 10, 15 minutes about the Hive, um, you know, that point you make about it needs a heart. Yeah, I mean, you definitely you nail on the head as far as I think I'm concerned and uh, quite a lot of people are concerned. Um, and, you know, we've seen flickers of that in the last... 18 months, two years, you know, Darren Curry was certainly someone that was starting to build something up around the club. And, uh, you know, recent, I mean, this season, this season, I mean, the, the, the league table speaks for itself. And I think recent development, recent communications uh, haven't perhaps helped um, help that. We're obviously uh, just appointed a new manager, but there's a linked piece of communication that's gone with it that has perhaps fallen short of what you'd expect from someone trying to build you know, a, a consensus around the club. I think there just needs to be a bit of a, a reset button hit around the club after this season, draw a line under it and uh, and move on from there. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll, that, I guess we'll see what happens in the new year or new, uh, new season. Yeah, that, that's right. And, um, you know, this season, I mean, the players really, uh, they've got, I mean, I don't know how many of them have got extensions on their contracts but they're gonna there's players there who I mean I, I believe there's there's players who who, who don't want to be there you know um, uh, for various reasons you know there's players who think they're going to get moved somewhere else and, and aren't going to risk getting injured I'll, I'll say that um, and you can't have players around a football club like that you know, who don't want to put on a shirt, or or, or when they go out there, it, it, it they can't, you can't have that. You know, look. Correct me if I'm wrong. You guys are diehard Barnet supporters. You you won't mind. You won't, you know, be upset if you see your players empty the tank out there on the pitch and have a go. That, that's that's what any supporter wants from their team. We all want to win. We all want to win championships. We all want to win cups. But we want to see those players go out and give themselves a right cracking go uh, to the best that they can. You know, that's what we all we all want from, and, and we're not getting that at the moment. The long and short of it is, those eleven players are. Are taking positions that any one of us would like to be taking, but aren't good enough to. So you want them to represent you when they're there. 
without any shadow of a doubt without any shadow of a doubt and and and, and that's to me you know what we need to develop again now you know like we say we've got to get that relationship back between the, the players the supporters and the, and the people who run the club and and i'm sure that that can be done um i really i'm really sure well um we won't mar ourselves in this uh, this season for too long obviously uh no you know, we want to talk about some of the positive sides and i, I guess to bring uh, this to a close, and look, we're very grateful for you know the time that you spent with us and, and all the great stories that you told us. It's been it's been you know, a really great interview, I think. Um, you know, we're talking to someone who is a legend at the football club, who's written themselves into the history of the football club, certainly in the last you know the best part of the last twenty years. Um, you know, from your personal experience that you've been through in your career, you know, when you talk about your time up the road at that other club that don't appear to have a name and with England Z and, and others, uh, you know, where would you put this within your experience of your career, your achievements, and I, I guess pride in, in what you've done for Barnet Football Club? Oh yeah, listen, um, being my association with the club has, has, has been fantastic. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's always the first thing I look out for whichever you know the always the result I look out for um, I don't I don't go on Twitter and stuff like that uh, I, <laughs> you know I've, I've never done that even when I was managing you know I just didn't didn't look at what supporters were saying or doing um, other than celebrating down the pub in the Barnet High Street when we we won the championship that's the only time I really felt we were mingling I think all the supporters were in the, the pub that night Yes, um, and we're all there. I remember standing on a table. I think. <laughs> yes, there, there is there is photographic evidence. Yeah, but that, look, you can't you can't do those sort of things and feel those emotions, and not feel feel the love and for for the place, you know. So, it, it's uh, you know, there's been fantastic times. There's been some times that have been very distressful for me at, at Barnet, but. Uh, you know, the the club is is so strong, a big part of my life, and always will be, massive part. Brilliant. Well, look, thank you, Paul. I think thank you for all the good memories. Thank you for stepping in all those times, and thank you, obviously, again for your your time this evening and all the wonderful insight you've given us. I think people are going to really enjoy listening to this. Really, real treat for any Barnet fan, and uh, obviously from all of us, we wish you all the best for the future going forward. Yeah, thank you, guys. My pleasure. Anytime. <laughs> I'm sure most people would say I was mad.